We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. NBA Most Valuable Player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis trailing the lob. Hey there, welcome to a crossover podcast featuring all of the hosts of the Eurostep and the Win in Six podcast, recording directly after the Bucks 109-107 overtime thriller win over the Miami Heat. We're all agitated, but we're all also somehow excited. I'm here with Eurostep co-host Rohan Kadi and the Win in Six crew, Adam McGee and Jordan Trusky. Everyone, how's it going? And Whoever shouts out a topic first, that's what we'll talk about to start off the show here. Stress. That was a <laughs> stressful game. We had to take a little bit of time to recover, sort of process our thoughts, our emotions, because my goodness, that was game one. <laughs> it was quite the game one. It's it's funny because part of this season for all of us, like since they fell in their face last year against the Heat has been look, they're going to have to play this whole regular season again, but we all know it doesn't matter. It's like the season doesn't start to the playoffs, and here we are, we're at the playoffs, and then game one looks like that. It's it's a lot. It was a lot, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, we'll get into, obviously, all of the important stuff, but as a game, I was just kind of entertained and tormented by it, which is kind of a good combination. I mean, I think that's given the year it's been for the books, where we have been waiting and waiting for the real action to begin to get there was pretty cool. Entertain and tormented is the motto of Bucks playoff basketball <laughs> right there. Uh, yeah, there's as many as six more of these, and uh, 
I, I don't know what I'm going to look like after this series. I was thinking about it too. Have we had a game one, like the only game one that I could think of over the Bud era that like equates to just like, like you feeling like you are having a heart attack <laughs> is like game one against Toronto, right? Cause every other one was either they got beat up pretty badly last year against the Heat. Orlando, Boston in 2019. Oh, that was against the that was the kid series, wasn't it? When Chris made the the really deep yes, shot yeah. over time in game one, was that, yeah. or that was Pronti to be more <laughs> precise. Pronti era, maybe game two against Miami last year when it was almost a one. Oh yeah, they fought all the way back. Yeah, that's true. And then they lost. <laughs> this one, this one was on a different level though. I just went and looked because it felt like it was about a five-point lead the whole game. Like neither team could ever really pull away. Largest lead for Miami was seven, and largest for Bucks was eight. So it was pretty close to that, pretty much all the way through. We had a lot of lead changes. I don't think I have that on this page, but back and forth, and it was just. I, I think it was a really impressive, not in all facets, but. Overall impressive win for the Bucks to pull out just because we've seen lately in this regular season some pretty bad late-game execution, and it wasn't exactly perfect in this game either. But against a very well-coached team, a very poised team with some players who, a lot of whom, crucially not all of whom, but a lot of whom were on the same roster that went to the finals last year, the Bucks still managed to claw out the win. I think this is one of those, we'll get into some of the wild stats. I mean, most notably the Bucks five for 31 from three, which they literally had less makes than two Heat players, or as many as one, less than another one. So two players on the Heat combined had more than double the Bucks total, three-point scoring output, but Milwaukee claws out the victory. A weird game for how intense it was. I think, Adam, you mentioned you want to talk about how weird this game was. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I just think in terms of even, as you mentioned, the the lead changes, like it felt like the Heat kind of had a handle on it for a lot of the first half as much as it was going back and forth. And the second half, it was the reverse of that. It felt like the books were in control, except the scoreboard would never show that at all. I think the officiating kind of had its own effect on the flow of the game. And then you have all the other things that are just kind of, a given, it's like, you you don't want to think about them too much because it's game one of a playoff series, it's so important, but you've been off for the best part of a week, you're playing at 1pm um, tip, like, not necessarily the book's best friend ever, um, historically, certainly not in the playoffs, but it was always going to be a pretty ugly game, it was ugly in a lot of ways, but I think the books just found a way to really compete, and to actually show the kind of, well, you know, we just got to find a way to win which is key to what they're going to do in the playoffs. It's really all that matters. It's one of those moments where you kind of, you could spend so much time thinking about like the idealistic ideas of how the books could play and how the books could play against the Heat or the Nets or the Sixers and what schemes they could run and what would the rotation look like. And you get to a game like this and you're like, just everyone needs to be diving on the floor for that loose ball. Like you've just got to find a way to compete and win. It's game one of the playoffs and they did it, and that's really kind of, it wasn't a given, they they had to work hard, and I don't know about anyone else, but even as it was coming down, you're like, okay, we're going to double overtime now, great, <laughs> this is just what I wanted, but Chris made 
an unbelievable shot, and here we are, 1-0. Yeah, I think Bucks MVP for this game, at least Chris Middleton, I thought overall, I honestly surprised that the, sh- the line at the end of the day is 10 for 22 from the field. It felt like there were a few different times, especially in that first half, where just nothing was going in for the Bucks. The offense stalled out, and there's Chris taking Duncan Robinson off the elbow. There's Chris three from straight on looking at the hoop and just made enough, uh, even though it was less than 50%. It felt like more. 27 points, six rebounds, six assists, two steals, two turnovers. Funny enough, a plus zero on the night. One of those games, obviously single game plus minus, is noisy. Jordan, what did you think about Chris Middleton's performance here? Silencing some doubters, at least for a day. I was going to say a night. I, I hate that more than anything else about day games. You always want to say a night, but at least for an afternoon. I I mean, yeah, he's MVP of the game by far. Had the hardest defensive assignment by leaps and bounds, even though guys like PJ and Drew saw plenty of time against Jimmy Butler. Middle, Chris is running around chasing Duncan Robinson, had the occasional reps on Tyler Hero, who can kind of shake free of screens as well. Like, he's doing all that, and... I think the biggest kind of criticism that anybody can levy at Chris is that when he's kind of, you know, thrust in these situations where he has so much on his plate defensively, it's like, does this whole, is, does this offense hold up in the same uh, regard? And he's still shooting. Granted, everybody was, like you said, the first half was pretty awful for both teams in terms of just offense. Uh, the only one that was pretty much lights out the whole game was Duncan Robinson. But like, the fact that Chris kept shooting through it, that he found ways to manufacture scoring opportunities when the Bucks' offense was, you know, very just kind of congested and just constipated for a lot of the game. Um, it That's all you needed. You needed that kind of just engine, especially when it took some time for Drew to get it together. Giannis's game was very erratic, as we'll probably dive into. Like, you just need – that's what they sorely needed in a game like this, just to kind of set the tone, set the tone for the series in the playoffs. And, yeah, he – it was a very – it felt very much like his series last year against Miami where he's, you know, the lone lifeline and it, it proved again today. The other thing with him, um, just before we go to anything else, is it's not like he was the guy on the team that over the last months that you could look at and be like – oh, he's in top form and really going to be the guy that he has been at times in the playoffs in the past. So that was essential for the books to see that version of Chris Middleton today. And also to see him, you know, yeah, he had some misses, but he was really stepping into his shot with purpose and confidence. He was going seeking out his mid-range spots. He was being just a professional scorer, and the books desperately, desperately need him to do that. Hasn't always looked easy for him in the last kind of month or so, but he was really good today. Definitely. So I think if Chris was the MVP, I think the closest to him, in my opinion, Drew Holiday had a fantastic game. I got to give some love to Brooke Lopez here. Uh, The big guy, there's qualms about his minutes. There's always going to be a lot of, I mean, we know this, no one besides us and like 10 other people actually watches the Bucks. But Brooke Lopez had an up and down season, we'll say, but five for 10 from the field, one for four from three, which is vintage. But Seven for eight from free throw, which was huge. The only buck to reliably make their free throws. And Bryn Forbes won for one. But the only buck who played substantial minutes to reliably knock down free throws. 
eight rebounds, three offensive, one steal. Somehow no blocks probably because they were all whistled as fouls, but 18 points and five fouls for the big fella. They win his minutes by six points despite Duncan Robinson getting a whole lot of threes off drop coverage in the first half. There were some adjustments there, but Rohan, talk about Brooke Lopez and what he added on both ends, but especially on defense against Miami. I'm glad you brought up the initial sort of punch that Miami brought because that was the problem we were fearing with Brooke Lopez, right? It's like, okay, if you're going to switch one through four immediately, which is what Milwaukee came out of the gates doing, what does Miami do? We talked about this on our podcast with David Vermilg. Make sure you go check that out if you want a preview for the rest of the series. Uh, we talked a lot about how what Miami is going to do is they're going to set uh, run screen and rolls with their shooting guards like Dragic with Duncan Robinson, as they did against Brooke Lopez. And if he drops, it's a wide open three every time. If this, you know, guy who's covering the guy going over the screen just sort of dies or, you know, gets a little bit of separation, it's going to be an open three. And that's what Duncan Robinson was taking care of right away. He was knocking those down. And so what they did is they sort of switch that around a little bit. They're not going to let those players do that, so they sort of let help defenders come get involved in that situation so Brooke Lopez does not have to come up to the level of the screen while also being able to cover in space, which I thought was a really good adjustment by Milwaukee. But Brooke Lopez overall, I thought he was excellent. What he was supposed to do in this game and supposed to do in this series is take advantage of Miami's lack of size, and that is exactly what he was doing. He was going out there. He was tipping out rebounds for offensive rebounds. He was getting in there defensively. He just completely shut down Bam Adebayo as well. Just incredible, incredible game from Brook Lopez. I know the bar is not super high at this point, but I thought it was a really good game. It kind of had a feel of picking up where he left off somewhat. I mean, not specifically against the Heat. We don't want to pick up where any book left off against the Heat last year. Um, But in some of what we saw late last season and coming into the playoffs down in the bubble. And yeah, I am here to rep for the big guy who's who's shocked about this. But I I just think you've got to use Brooke. Brooke is talented. I I understand the reasons and that there will be matchups. There'll be moments in this series and certainly if you get beyond this series against the Nets or against the Sixers, where you're going to have to sit, Brooke, and you're going to have to really kind of lean in heavy and ride with P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker can't do so much of what Brooke does. And there's a balance to what you're going to have with this. And the balance is never going to be perfect. I mean, I, mean, I think Bucks fans would be a lot more, I, don't, I won't say happy, because I don't know if Bucks fans are you know capable of that, but they'd be a lot more kind of at ease throughout this series. If they just except, okay, Brooke is either going to be probably slightly positive or slightly negative. Like, it's it's very difficult to just fine-tune this to the point where it's perfect. But he does give the book something, and particularly if you kind of empower him and he's confident. What I liked was Brooke Lopez putting the ball on the floor. I don't want Brooke Lopez to be putting the ball on the floor very often at all. But it just kind of feels like the kind of thing that when the books get to the playoffs, you see another team do. It's another team with another player, and they're doing something that's just kind of weird. That's just catching everyone off guard. That's making the defense scramble and really disorienting kind of a base defense for the opposing team. Brooke did that early on because he put the ball on the floor. He got there. Like you mentioned his consistent free throw shooting, Ty. The fact that Brooke shot eight free throws in a game where even Giannis couldn't get whistles to get to the line. Like, that's a big victory for what he should be doing, where you should be getting him if he is going to be on the floor in this series. 
I think the biggest thing for me is that even if you're going to have to work extra hard, as the Bucks ended up doing to stop Duncan Robinson, um, you know, getting open off of the, the ball screens when Brooke is dropping, it's worth it if you can do the kind of thing that the Bucks did to Miami's two best players in this game, where Jimmy Butler shoots four for 22, Bam Adebayo shoots four for 15. I don't know if we'll see another game this series where those two shoot that badly, but pretty clearly Milwaukee saying, hey. Giannis is going to guard Jimmy. Brooke is going to guard Bam. They're going to be between those guys in the paint all night long. At least this game, it worked really well. Like, that made Miami have to turn to Duncan Robinson, Tyler Harrow, Goran Dragic. And those guys are good, and they can hurt you. As as evidence, the Bucks are going to need to do a little bit better on those players. But I do think you're operating from a built-in position of strength if you can make Miami go to anybody else besides those two best players. I mean, it's what teams always do to the Bucks, right? It's what Miami does to the Bucks. They say, hey, not Giannis, right? And Giannis is not going to go off. Middleton will get single coverage. Drew Holiday will have some opportunities. We're going to make it really hard for Giannis. And we've seen how well that idea can work. The Bucks put it into practice, and it's not going to get talked about because everyone is just like, I don't know what the narratives, national narratives, and it's probably going to be, you know, Giannis wasn't good enough. Who knows? But no, it's okay. I, we got we got hoops. I'm tweeting Milwaukee's beatable based on game one. Of course they are. Um, I think the the ten second violation could be one of. The oh, that'll yeah. That'll, if that'll this be wasn't a, a Saturday, and let's say there were some daytime ESPN shows tomorrow, I feel like there could be some segments devoted to that. Um, right. But one one thing with what you're saying there too, right? Because it is it's the idea of you know, well, can the other guys beat you? Which the books frequently get beat by the other guys. Duncan Robinson. The Heat put him in a position to do that. If the books are asking that question, they say, we're going to get him the looks he's good at. The books have got to do the same with Brooke. And they did a pretty good job of that today. There's room for improvement. There was a really nice pick and roll, though, late in the fourth quarter with Brooke, which is just like easy points. Easy points. Because at that point in the game, the Heat are just like, okay, where's Giannis? Where's Chris? You know, head on a swivel. Where if you can get Drew Holiday and Brooke to run a pick and roll, find them for an easy two, that's great. Like, that's the kind of stress-free points that the books could, frankly, do it a whole lot more of. Yeah. No, no more lobs. Go ahead, Jordan, but no more lobs. That's my one ask. No more lobs, <sighs> especially if there's five Heat players around the rim, which it felt like on one of those, I think, that Drew threw. Just, you don't need to do that, man. It's, but that's, that's a, little, a little too complicated. No, I think, I think Brooks an interesting test case in how, like, how we talk, like, how Adam was talking about, like, idealized, like, Bucks performance in the playoffs, where it's like you want you don't want to see the same, you know, the ball fizzes around, but th- there's no real kind of like purpose behind breaking down Miami's defense or anybody's defense. And Brooke, like, you know, whereas we'd probably see him launch up early three point shots, all that stuff in the shot clock, like the stuff that would probably just drive people crazy, which. In my opinion, that's how I kind of viewed some of Giannis's performance today, and there's other things contributing to that. The fact that, like, Brooke or even Chris at, uh, at times, Drew at times, Dante had the had the right idea. The execution was a little bit off, uh, but, like, just something, like, just avoiding, like, the same habits that have sunk them in the playoffs, especially on offense, because that's, as much as the talk that we talk about, like, are they going to be different defensively? All that stuff. Like the offense has always been the problem, and there's parts of today where you're just like, okay, you're not wholly encouraged, even though it's an outlier shooting performance. It's all the fa- factors that we talked about, like 
but we I, I saw enough to be encouraged by in terms of like guys like Brooke or just the new guys I, I should say of just trying to make something happen on offense where that didn't necessarily exist before. This is why I was excited about Portis and Forbes, even knowing the defensive limitations that both have. And I don't know if we're going to go deep on either of them. Just they didn't play a ton. 17 minutes for Portis, 14 for Forbes. So I thought probably should have gotten a little bit more run. Pretty solid defensive performance, but 0 for 3 from deep. And I, I do get that is probably what you should hook Bryn Forbes for. If, if the shots aren't falling, there is certainly a limit to the upside. But both of those players, like if they're going to do one thing, they're not going to hesitate all day with the ball. Like, they're going to get a shot up one way or another. And there can be negatives to that if, uh, you know, I think the term like hijack the offense can come up and everything else. The Bucks as a team just need to make sure that doesn't happen and the ball flows through the best players and then ends with those players shooting. But I think you saw in this game, you know, bench – I mean, only four guys played, but bench players not named Bryn and Bobby scored two points. It was – Pat had two points in 10 minutes. P.J. Tucker had zero points in 18 minutes. You can't have zero from the bench. So those two guys putting up 13 points in their 11 total shots, it's not great, but, like, you just need that. Like, you need somebody to just come in off the bench sometimes and score at least a little bit. They did that in limited run. I didn't think either of them got picked on too much defensively. I think you're, you're right on with saying some of the new additions showed the opposite of that hesitancy that's hurt the Bucks in postseason's past where nothing really seems to get accomplished. Are we well, buying I, I, the yeah. sorry Ron, are we buying the four bench guys being the four bench guys? I know Teague was cleared kind of late to play today. I'm not saying Jeff Teague should play every game, but I kind of feel like there could be a We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It could be something of a flex spot there where someone's going to come in and out based on how they play. And some of the combinations, I don't know, again, what your thoughts are. The P.J. Tucker-Brook minutes, no thanks. Um, <laughs> I'll counter that. I'll, I'll oh, counter that. Okay. Oh. See, the thing is, that's what I was talking about with Brook earlier in that they're trying to capitalize on Miami's lack of size. And what Miami does not have in their front court is really floor spacers. And that Milwaukee putting out a lineup like that takes advantage of that situation because they're banking on the fact that Miami's front court isn't going to play them off the floor in terms of actual shooting, but they'll be there defensively and sort of wreak havoc at the rim, which is what Miami's going to try to do. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. 
We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. They don't have a they they, they don't have an Olenic to go to. Exactly. I mean, it could be they could be, that could be Bializa, but as, as much as like Olenic is just like this Ophi <laughs> defender, I think he's actually kind of good. I think he's kind, of, he's yeah, kind he's, of good player. He's, 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 be, he's been good against the books, for that's many especially years. that. Especially, I don't that. think I don't think Bializa could do the same. I think that's what's. I mean, he. I think he was a DMP CD today. So, he was. Um, yeah, I don't. That's that. I could see Spo turning to that, but I also understand why he's not in their rotation to start the series. I think we saw why he's not in the rotation, and it was Dwayne Dedman's minutes when the Bucks just put him in a blender every single possession. I mean, this is something the Bucks have not done well enough in the past: is like try to isolate and just bully someone. I still don't think they probably do it enough against some of the Miami one-way players. Like, I think we could probably see more Harrow hunting. I'm a little – I don't know about Dragic. I just – like, in the playoffs, guy's a different beast. I don't know if you can go at him that much. There, was, there was a little bit of hunting was, on none today. There was some on Robinson, they, Chris loves attacking him. Yeah, he does. Because so he doesn't get up high enough. That's the thing. Chris doesn't care how close you are, but if you can't get high to contest that fadeaway, it's, it's wide open. But Deadman – was just getting put in pick and roll after pick and roll, and he ends looking up looking like a dead man. Yeah, the name was fitting. <laughs> I mean, he basically was out of the league for most of the season. He was just on his couch. He wasn't dead, but he was NBA dead, and he was that tonight. Minus seven in twelve minutes for Dwayne Deadman. I mean, the Heat just don't have the flexible bigs, and I think that's what is probably going to differentiate this series. It's like Adebayo's great, doesn't just doesn't shoot. I don't even say can't shoot. Just doesn't seem to like to. They they made him take a couple. I think the Heat were just like, hey, seriously, man, you, we we've watched Draymond these last couple of playing games. It's not good if you just don't shoot. It doesn't help us. Uh, and he made a couple shots, but he's not gonna he's not gonna take threes and he's not gonna shoot a lot of jumpers. Their other bigs are just like awful. Like they're gonna make Ariza play four because they have nothing else. Oh I know Adam God. you have an Ariza thing. Hey, Trevor Ariza is toast. He's, he's every, toast. Every, Jordan, he's the player this year, and I'm confident that this time it's not going to come back to bite because usually when I go in on a player like this, they end up beating the books. Um, I, Trevor Ariza is like, he is finished. I don't he's getting see... cardio out there, that's it. Yeah. I don't know if he's up to like 40 minutes of cardio, though. Like, I don't, I don't understand why... They're lean. Well, they do. You look at the roster, and you're like, well, what else? Is it Iguodala otherwise? Like, he's – that was the other thing. Like, I'm thinking, especially in, in terms of Giannis and just, like, you know, what are they going to do? That's that's rough. That is I, rough. I actually think they should probably let Precious get a shot, like, game two soon, just because I think there's upside there. And I'm, I'm not going to act like I'm an expert on the guy. I mean, David Rubio yeah. talked about him a little bit. I know we've seen some fla- – I know they've seen some flashes. I don't watch him much. But – I just think, like, sometimes you have to make an upside play, and if the alternative is Ariza, Iguodala, Deadman, and then Bielitsa is the one guy we haven't really seen yet, or I guess, like, UD, if they want someone to get ejected. <laughs> if he gets ejected after three minutes. <laughs> if they want someone to get ejected, they have that option. Like, the bigs are just bad, and it's like, there's some teams I think you could probably live with that. Milwaukee's not one of them. I mean, there's so many skilled big guys on this team. It's just tough. So I think that's got to be something the Bucks have to exploit is, like, Miami just doesn't have playable fours or fives outside of Bam Adebayo. Like, they're going to have to have Jimmy Butler do it, and that's just... Outside of? 
Oh, come on, Rohan. Too far. Too far. (laughs) That's spicy, Rohan. Oh, I mean, I guess this game won, you know, I I see the... Four of 15 from the field, nine points. And all of his his floaters, too, they were very, like, we've seen the Bucks get, you know, floatered to death, if that is a phrase. But, like, there was just no confidence. It was just like these little... He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do it. You can see there's a difference. That's... Literally, Brooke most is of the big. That's part yeah, of the thing. He's very big. Brooke is big. That was not like most guys you come up against. That was the thing that, like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I wasn't holding on for dear life. That I, when I'm seeing, you know, all the starters on the floor in clutch time minutes and just thinking, like, they're just going to rob- Duncan Robinson them to death to yep. win this game. But if you do go PJ at the five and he, take, he takes on Bam, like, you're giving up massive size. And and wingspan that you can't do without Brooke on the floor, and they're not like they're low to put Giannis on Bam and all that stuff. But we saw why like you know Giannis's uh, limitations defensively, but like that's where like Brooke you know saved the day in terms of just defending the paint, you know making the Heat thrive offensively outside of it. This is something I've talked about, and it sounds stupid. And Rohan will tell me it sounds stupid, but. <laughs> He For a seven-footer, he's deceptively long. Like, he is longer than even it seems like. And you can tell players never look comfortable shooting over him. And it's his, really his saving grace when he does get pulled out on the perimeter, which I think we'll see more. I think the very last Duncan three he closed out, probably just because it was the last one. I wouldn't mind seeing that a little bit more. I, I think anything but Robinson shooting. I think help defense, you know, coming from elsewhere is probably better. But – He's just hard to shoot over, and whenever a player tries to isolate on him at the perimeter and do the step back, I think they're shooting like, and this isn't a real number, but it feels like they're shooting 10%. Like, nobody can shoot over the guy, and it applies to these floaters, too. I mean, I think Bam did make one or two of them. You know, I mean, only four total, so he didn't make that many more than that. But I just think, like, something about the way Brooke Lopez defends players straight up, I mean, it helps that he's huge, but I think even more than that, like, he's good at making it tough to get a look over him. The other thing about Bam, like obviously Bam is a good passer. He's a really good passer. I still find it kind of comforting. And <laughs> Disclaimer, I also felt this way last year. We know how that ended up. But when you see him basically in a position where you're like, this is like how the Nuggets should do things with Jokic and the Nuggets often do, where it's like he's a quarterback and you're just like, he's there and he's surveying his options. I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, I can live with this. He can make good passes, but it's in that spot too, and that's where Brooke can drop, and the book still can play with the drop, where he's afraid of the floater, but I also just don't think he's like the top-tier passer he needs to be for you to be putting the ball in his hands in those kind of positions as much as the Heat do. It's a really weird wrinkle that you're not going to see against most teams. I just don't think he's quite good enough to, to do it in the way that they would like him to. And. I think even if he is, like, there's just a ceiling on how good of an offensive player you can be if there's little you can do to score. And I, I use the Draymond comp for a reason. That's, I mean, that was, that killed the Warriors. They, that's why they lost both of those games, was he just wouldn't. And I think he ended up with, like, 12 points or something. You want to hear something wild? Their magic number for his points is eight. That's the Draymond Green. If he scores eight points, they're way better. That's all it takes. And he doesn't get there very often. Like he's the, that's where he's the he's first at. player in NBA history to finish with more rebounds and assists than points. Does, is he really? Yeah, minimum fifty points. <laughs> oh my god, I'm I'm not shocked though. Like that's what his game has become. Yeah. And you can still be helpful, but there is just a ceiling. Like even Jokic, as great of a passer as he is, if he was not the gifted scorer he is, 
I think the Nuggets would be good, but they wouldn't be what they are. Oh, he's a role uh, player. He's like an elite, elite role player. He's like a game changer. I say that as like Jokic's biggest fan. I mean, if he can't go and get 25 points for himself, if he can't shoot as well, like Mm -hmm. it just, it doesn't matter. Like it's a lot harder to pass if the guy guarding you just doesn't care what you do and and just is willing to play off of you. Like it, it, Adam McGee calling Bam Adebayo role player. (laughs) Well, I'm, come on. You're putting words in my mouth, words that actually (laughs) came out of your mouth. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, we should talk about how I avoid the tweets. <laughs> He's good at it. He's good at it. You're you're deceptively good at avoiding tweets. You're in the the Brook Lopez decep- deception camp. Giannis uh, can I don't want to say conflicting. I don't think it's the right. Just a confounding Giannis game. I think a lot of great stuff. A lot of really not great stuff. The overall line is 26 points. Second on the Bucks. 10 for 27 from the field. 0 for 3 from deep. 3 is a big number when the one first one is 0, Giannis, but it's not that big. 6 for 13 from free throw, 18 rebounds, 6 offensive, 5 assists, 3 steals, 5 turnovers, 4 fouls. It's just like up and down. I think he did quite literally just enough, but I would hope that this is by far the worst Giannis game we get in this series. I'm going to bet it's not. Ooh, well, I don't like that. I'm going to bet it's not. Now, like, this is, they're not the heat they were last year, but this is still one of the tougher matchups that Giannis is going to have. Um, they can offer resistance that, for example, Blake Griffin cannot at this point. So, I liked a lot of what I saw from Giannis without coming close to being like he had a good game. It just felt like he kind of, yeah, you know, the issues, the struggles, the concerns we knew he'd have to deal with. Yeah, they were there, and he confronted them. And I think he kind of battled through, and he made made himself very impactful. Made some great defensive plays, rebounded really well, including when he had one arm. I mean, I think that's also something we should factor in. I hope it's not something we're going to have to factor in too much beyond uh, game one. But that lingered. Uh, maybe it was just kind of a bit of a stinger, but whatever it was, it lingered. And... I think there was some good stuff there. For me, the beginning and end of the concern, really, is the free throws. This is the Bucks season, year in, year out, for as long as Giannis is with them, is going to live and die in his free throws. And we're all going to get worked up on so much else. But up until this point, even with some of the ugly losses the Bucks have had in previous years, you know, if Giannis could make 70% of his free throws consistently, none of it would matter. The kind of the shooting he's shown in the regular season this year for a long, long spell. If that was there, the Bucks win much easier than they did. It helps if you get to the free throw line. But that 6 of 13 is concerning because it's not something that has been rearing its very ugly head in the regular season lately. And it's something that as soon as the playoffs start, that flips. I don't know. Maybe one of you have. I've written about this in previous years when I used to do that. Maybe you've seen something about this, Jordan, this week, or you've been looking at it. Like, his free throw numbers in the playoffs are atrocious. They're so much worse than numbers that aren't good to begin with in the regular season. So 6 of 13 from the line is a concern. I was very happy that he at least made one after the 10-second violation because we've also seen that kind of thing get in Giannis's head and spook him in the past. To that point... Thank you, Jordan. I try. I tried to go like, I, a little bit longer. Fifty-three uh, percent against oh. the Heat last year from the free throw line. Giannis was. 
not good enough is is the, a translation for that number. I will say the one silver lining was I think was it Dallas this season when it seemed like that was the, the one for ten. One for ten, and I remember the vibe was like, oh, it's cooked. Like he's just never going to be good. Like it's it's a lost cause. Like this is going to be so hard to overcome. And directly after that, I think, is when he probably had his best run of the season. Like, it, it kind of just clicked, and it was like, oh, okay, maybe he has it figured out. And I feel like every time we say Giannis maybe has something for sure figured out, it's probably a little bit fool's gold. But I do think if there's if there's anyone in the league who's going to overcome, like, a really bad shooting night and come back with better ones, it probably is Giannis. I, I certainly hope we see – above 50-something percent, like, in the 60s still isn't great, but it's better? I mean, I don't know. What what number do we want to – I mean, obviously we want to see, like, 100, but uh, what 70. realistic – I think I think 70, 70 is fine. 66 is very workable. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going to make 62 and 3, you go, great. It's If you're scraping 60, that's where it gets a problem. Um, if he can go up there and even – there have been times where this has been the case. If you know he's going to split every time – there's something with that that's workable. What gets kind of very nerve, particularly in a game like that, and it can't but affect his teammates as well, is if he goes up there and he has an empty trip with like two minutes left in a yeah. one-possession playoff game, that's just, it takes the air out of the building, it takes the air out of everyone. It's avoiding that at all costs, I think, is kind of crucial for Giannis. So this was a slightly scary game at moments in that front. Yeah, you even had guys like Chris Middleton, like uh, Drew Holiday, like they were just missing free throws, and it was just weird. This team is just weird in terms of free throw shooting. Bad. I feel like if one guy, the worst. Bad. The worst. I don't know if it's I think weird. Be a worse yeah. free throw shooting team. They've shot like what less than they shot sixty point six percent from the free throw line in this game. They've done that five times in the last like year and a half total. Ugh. <laughs> They're literally it's supposed so to be right. free. They're called uh, free. Some inspiring stuff there, Rohan. I'm. <sighs> did the books win? I can't remember that because that <laughs> that stat is, uh, yeah, it's taken. And it wasn't just free throws. I guess we can get into like three point shooting as well. Like my goodness, sixteen point one percent from three. It's got to be the worst of the the Bud era. It's Catholic. the worst in three years. Yeah. For the Bucks or for any team? For the Bucks. I feel like a for any team, I, I, you could tell me that and I'd believe it. Five for 31 is no I think the only team that rivals has Rockets game seven. Oh, they've <laughs> right? shot worse than that one time in the last five years. What was it? Uh, it was 14.3% on January 14th, 2018 against the Miami Heat. <laughs> Of course it was. Oh, I remember, though. That is one of the <laughs> ugliest games I've ever watched. It was one of by 18 last points. games, right? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. I, I, was that his last game? No, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Uh, what was the day? He got fired, January I think, on my 14th. birthday. This no, was on a little birthday, bit after. Or the Bucks' birthday, too, and all the balloons. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> is firmly in the. Re- Actually, I actually think it was an early birthday present for me. It was early twenty something January when I. Uh, Jason Kidd on any tequila promotional events, you know. Just gonna leave that one alone. Um, the one thing I really didn't like from uh, Giannis's game, uh, aside from the free throws for sure, was I felt like, and I don't think it was a ton. It wasn't as much as years past. 
But in the second half, it still felt like we had a little bit too much Giannis ISO from the top of the key. And it's like, I almost get it if it's a Rizzo, but too often it was against Bam, which like, for all the slander, I'll I'll, I'll be the reasonable one as I often am and I'll pod with Rohan. I did not slander him. I I know. We know, Adam. (laughs) It was Rohan, but you and I will get blamed for it. Bam may be the best isolation defender in the league. Like the guy isolating on Bam Adebayo is just like freaking impossible. Like it's what he does. I remember the series last year against Boston. Tatum kept trying and just like got nothing. And for all the consternation about is Tatum should Tatum really be viewed how he is? Whatever. The guy can pull up and score. Like that's what he does. And he didn't do it against Bam Adebayo. Like it's not a good idea. And it's just again, it, it just underscores this thing. And this has been true in years past, but. It's never been more true than this season. There's so many weapons on the team. There's so many better options than Giannis just going from the top of the key at a set defense. And that's the easiest way to make Miami look like the Miami of last year because it's just easy for that team to defend, even without the personnel. Like driving right into Bam Adebayo is just not productive, and it's just a waste of a possession. And I want to see in game two less wasted possessions. I think – there's a very interesting discussion in terms of Giannis because I'm right there with you. Outside of the free throw shooting, which, you know, Adam addressed very head on, like there was the one play right before Bud pulled Giannis for like a minute or here and there just because he was just gassed where it was kind of like a scramble play, but the Bucks got the ball back or something. And Chris is like kind of setting up on the top of the key, but it's kind of shading towards like the right wing. And Giannis is just sitting behind the three-point line, which is already a bad decision. And he's not moving to, like, set up a screen. And it just – it kind of – whether it's, like, like an instance like that where, yeah, he's, you know, tired as hell playing through this game, especially after a week layoff. But, like, between that and just kind of, like, the play designs and stuff like that, like, that's where – there's something missing in terms of, like, that kind of reactionary, like, if you just set up a screen, the, the shot's going to look way better than, I think it would, it ended up being, like, Chris just heaving something up before the shot clock, you know, expires. And there's just something missing sometimes with his kind of just, like, okay, where are we? He's, like, kind of, like, thinking too much or just, you know, physically exhausted, whatever the case may be. Like, that just kind of drives me mad, especially when it comes down to the playoffs and everything is very just – more slow going, and he clearly wasn't finding, like, when to strike, when to slow it down and all that stuff throughout the game, even, you know, when he's cutting to the to the basket and putting down dunks and stuff like that, where it's just like he's trying to feel it out, but, like, the game is not matched up with how he's processing everything. That is kind of – you could just see it in real time that – you know, it's just it gets frustrating after a little bit when it's not he he has to know that it's like that's not like maximizing how you and everybody can be helped out when you're just sitting behind the three point line. It's not going to lead to anything. I do think there's also a balance, and you could see him again feeling it out between like, okay, this is transition. I'm head down. I'm going to the rim. Okay, this is kind of semi transition. Yeah, I still think I I still think I can go. And it, it's just kind of he needs to almost clearly delineate in his own mind, okay, no, this is not the point where I can do that. I can't just, you know, 
kind of one parry on the floor or two then if I meet resistance that I'm just kind of staring things down from the free throw line and I'm kind of stuck in no man's land on the ball. Like, to your point, if Chris has the ball and Chris is kind of weighing up his options and Giannis isn't really involved in the play, his instinct every time should be, oh, I'm going to go on the screen for Chris. Because if Giannis screens for Chris, there's only good options. (laughs) Like, there are only good options. Chris has the ball, Giannis goes set a screen, all of a sudden, it's just like kind of lights showing up everywhere of things the books can do and ways that you can get easy points that you can score and that you can just also, you know, keep the heat really kind of engaged and locked in. If you want to make things easier for your, I, I'm not, I'm not saying to give Dante the ball too often. <laughs> I'm not saying I want Dante shooting like loads of corner jumpers, but if you want to make life easier for a Dante, if he's out there and you're like, do your part offensively. Run some Chris Giannis pick and roll and then kind of look off of those options and be like, oh, look, Dante's completely wide open. Because, of course, Dante's completely wide open. There's a Chris and Giannis pick and roll over here. So I very much agree with that. I think there's some recognition on his part that needs to kick in. And one of the most simple ones is, okay, it's not like I need to clear out Chris has already got kind of a nice ISO set on someone he's going to want to shoot over in the works. If that's not the case and Chris is the ball, Yana should be like, okay, I'm screening. It's that simple to me. Yeah, and just to wrap up something, I think you mentioned earlier, Adam, the arm injury for Giannis basically got caught by Bam Adebayo on one of his many uncalled illegal screens on offense. Um, really looked like he couldn't use that arm for a little bit, but does mm-hmm. end up getting the sleeve and, and playing it out. Mike Budenholzer on Giannis's elbow injury. This is according to... Steven Watson at WISN underscore Watson. I think he just got banged, felt it for a few minutes, but it's nothing. So I guess good news. That, that's, hope that's, Do we expect anything else? No, no, but that, that seems very... Is this know, the Bucks who's going to bang tweet coming back to bite them? <laughs> <laughs> nothing like banging in the Bucks. Um, but but uh, allegedly nothing to worry about on the honest injury front going forward. The other nice thing is, Game two in two days on Monday, but then the Bucks don't play again until Thursday. So at least a few off days sprinkling. It feels so weird to have like multiple, more than one in a row day off after this marathon of a season. Well, because there's going to be travel. Oh, yeah. For the first time in two years for the playoffs. I mean, there's there's been travel in the regular season. They just said, hey, everyone's going to play anyway, but... Well, um, yeah, but they for the playoffs, they at least say that. Yeah. yeah, they're not going from, uh, what was it, the... Uh, Oh, God, what was those hotel names that they blaking? Oh, they're so ridiculous! Like the Floridian uh, was one, right? Yeah, the Grand Floridian. Yeah, the Grand, Grand Floridian. Floridian was that the and one? I guess Brooks House. We'll, we'll just come Brooks House on, on the <laughs> Disney lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess those were all. Maybe that's why he looked really good in some of those Miami games last year. He's bas- basically home games for him. Same for the Heat. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, Rohan, where do you want to go from here? Do you have more Giannis stuff you want to talk about? Anything else catching your fancy? I feel like Rohan's got something in the pocket there for a while. So he, he does have time something. to let him loose. Oh, you're really setting me up here for failure. Um, oh, well, <laughs> I mean, like, I just want to say, in terms of feeling optimistic for the series going forward, I think the shooting numbers that I brought up earlier, like free throw percentage, like three point percentage, that's where you feel the best about Milwaukee, right? Because it, this was a game one that sort of feels like whoever's winning this game obviously has momentum in the series, but also has like that mental edge. Like Miami came into the series having that mental edge. Milwaukee gained it back, I think, tonight. 
And uh, I guess I can share one wild stat. Do you want to know how many times the Bucks have shot uh, worse from three and worse from the free throw line than they did tonight? Is this ever? All yeah, time? just in the history of the Bucks. Three times. Well, I, one time in the last uh, 11 years. Wow. Yep. 2013 so, against Indiana. It was a 24-point loss. Have you got that in front? Can you, like, 2014 against Indiana. I want to hear the team. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear the, the Monte Ellis. That night. Oh, it was 2013. Yeah, let's see here. It's going to load quickly. What what month was it? It was March 22nd, 2013. Oh, God. Happy birthday, Jason Kipp. This place is up for grabs. Uh, so the starting lineup <laughs> for the Milwaukee Bucks was Monte Ellis, Brandon yeah. Jennings, yeah. Marcus Daniels, Samuel Dallenbear, and wow. Larry Sanders. That team was the AC that year. <laughs> Were they really? Isn't it wild? Yeah, against the Heat. The heat. Samuel Dallenbear. That was the way yeah, to I was going to say. Yeah, that was that's the how we're here. Um, <laughs> Samuel Dallenbear and Larry Sanders as a starting front court. That is so thing. Here's me being like. I'm not sure about P.J. Tucker or Rick Lopez playing together. Tyler Hansborough scored 20 points for the Pacers. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, as bad as it can get for the Bucks now, it's been yeah. worse. I think it's something that I, I think about pretty often. Um, okay, Ro, pick a topic, Rohan, besides statistical anomalies. Well, what, Drew? Do you want to talk about Drew? Yeah, let's talk about Drew. So, okay. Drew Holiday was very, very analytical in this game. And I want I say that in terms of picking and choosing where he wants to attack. And that's exactly what he did in this game. I feel like he had his moments where he was like, okay, this is an inflection point for the Milwaukee Bucks in this game. I'm going to take over. Like he had a couple steals, like some big transition layups. One of them he actually he messed up, but where he threw it off of, tried to throw it off of someone out of bounds, and then it went to an and one for Bam. It was, was that end of the first half, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I thought, like we talked up top, he was one of, obviously one of the best players, and he showed tonight why he is such a difference for this team. Like, he can go 0 of 5 from 3, yet he can still make an impact. He can still make an impact. He can still be a threat off ball, which is why the Giannis Chris pick and roll is even so much more important, like you were talking about earlier, Adam, because it's not just Dante it's going to be open. It's going to be Drew Holiday who can handle secondary creation off of that action. So if you have Drew Holiday sort of getting a, like a Miami defense that's already in scramble mode, like he's going to, he's going to tear that apart. And that's what he did in moments tonight. I thought he could have been a little more aggressive. Like he did put up 18 shots, but I don't know. He, he, he picked his moments very well. I think that's my, uh, my analysis of Drew Holiday. That late uh, breakaway layup and transition was really special. Like, that should have been an one He felt mm-hmm. the tap on his right arm, and he then used his right arm to secure his left arm and finish. I was like, that's one, like, a real heads-up play, but two, it's, like, very impressive, very difficult to do, kind of mid-flow, mid-air, and it couldn't be any further from, like, anything Eric Bledsoe <laughs> ever did for the books. That, that was, was I'm sorry to too. do that, that but was that, was, that was the one where you're like, yeah. just, this could not. That Imagine or... if Eric Bledsoe was breaking out in transition with the game like that. He's just going to miss the layup. The ball's like, going, like, 15th row at least, somehow. Yeah, so that, that, that was, like, a the big, big, big play. The step back over Jimmy Butler in, like, the fourth quarter, where it's like, yeah, that's they didn't have that. 
I think they had that before. I, I don't think often about like just every play, but there's sometimes when he does something where it would have started the same for Bledsoe. Like Bledsoe got himself in position for a lot of breakaways, fat, you know, transition opportunities. He certainly tried enough mm-hmm. shots, more than enough shots, but the results are so different. I agree, Rohan. I'd like to see, especially just in the first half, more from Holiday. I don't think he was there enough. I mean. He, what do you have? Eighteen in the third quarter? Is that true? That sounds a little high, but that eleven. I think it was uh, yeah. eleven. Okay, um, but twenty in the game, and obviously added some in the fourth. So first half pretty quiet for Drew. I would have liked to see him just be more aggressive. Although it was like everyone else on the Bucks a bad shooting night. I feel like typically if he takes five threes, he's probably looking at more like twenty three, twenty six points than twenty, which is obviously not a, a terrible scoring output. But I think he could have really helped stabilize the the ship a little bit in the first half. And then maybe the Bucks could have had a slightly easier path in the second. But again, the way he played in the third quarter, and I don't want to forget, basically just annihilated the Jimmy Butler potential game-winning three-point attempt. To yeah, anyone else have PTSD with that though? Like any mm-hmm. kind of flash? Oh, I thought it was going to be a close out to the corner against. Oh. I mean, I was so scared. Like everyone was celebrating after the Chris jumper. I was like, "This is going to backfire." Like <laughs> I, I think that's just ingrained pain. Yeah, but it was. Well, just we literally like, saw yeah. it. Like we've seen it in before, June, right? Yeah. Yep. And in like the most just improbable play, you don't see that very often. And some of the things that had been called and hadn't been called, there was that Chris offensive foul, which there was like nothing. Oh, that was terrible. That, that was the one I thought should have been challenged. That There was just absolutely nothing there, but I get that you always save them for a potential... God loves fall. late game timeout oh, yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I mean, too. I think that's that's the thing with challenges is Bud is not challenging outside of like last can't three, use it or lose it if you don't have it. Exactly. <laughs> he couldn't that's use it. Ex- a- that is exactly how he thinks. I know it killed him that Spo got to use a user yeah. to lose it, and he didn't. <laughs> I was literally like, is he going to take a timeout in the next 15 seconds, even though he wouldn't lose one, just to, like, feel alive? The other, the other thing with Drew's offense, though, when we talk about his kind of final numbers – I think part of that, too, is very closely tied to Giannis, and we talk about him being a little quieter in the first half. Like, if Drew is getting to do more, you're getting less of Giannis in the wrong spots. You're going to get Giannis off ball. You're going to get him at the elbow rather than kind of coming into attack from the top of the arc where he could settle for... I mean, of three, I think you mentioned this kind of right up top, of three from deep, I'll take that for Giannis because he's only taking three triples. I don't. <laughs> I just do not need more of them. There's probably a playoff game where he's going to go like four of six from deep. Oh, for sure. We'll 100%. have a great time with it. But let's not let's not look for that. I don't really think any Bucks fan does anymore. It's a, <laughs> it's a fantasy we all had. We've had some fun times. We've moved on and kind of crashed back down. Well, there. we've seen it against every team except Miami. That's true too. Every, yeah, every good team in the league. We haven't seen it against Brooklyn yet. We did in that uh, the, in that first game of the miniseries. Right or forty nine? Forty seven? My numbers. I forty nine. I think something like that. I want to. I want to. Yeah. I want to go back to the rotation after the the um series there. I Adam, you brought this up earlier about potentially could there be a, a swing spot or something else. There was a police siren, and I had an open window. I was very rattled by that. I'm not ready for the playoffs. Like, my nerves You're are so very flustered. Like, I know. things happen. Jordan just, is, like, frequently in the midst of sirens. I don't ask questions. I just <laughs> keep podcasting. Yeah. There's buzzing saws around me. I live in a factory. I don't know what's going on. 
It's the game, man. The game got to me a little bit late. I, I tweeted an expletive. That never happens. I was just too fired up. But I want to talk about the rotation. I think great to see up top just 45 pieces in terms of minutes for both Giannis and Chris. It was an overtime game, but still, even without that, you're looking at 40 minutes for those guys. Drew right there at 42. I thought the bench rotation a little fascinating no Jeff Teague, which I'm not surprised by because he seemed, I don't want to say doghouse, but it seemed like he was kind of on the out the last few weeks. Which Stadium, stadium for the – I can't even say it without laughing. What? <laughs> I was going to say, like, you know how, like, oh, Spolster is going to save Bielitsa for later in the series. Like, Bud's, like, break, breaking class in case of emergency is Jeff Teague. <laughs> There is a Jeff T game coming. I'm gonna, I'm 100 percent certain. This. Oh, I've said that. this from the start. I think I, you should play. I agree. No, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, uh, <laughs> never mind. I, I've said it from the start that I, I know. I think everyone, particularly some, there were some good signs early when he, like he, he can still do stuff. He can actually do more than I really believed he could do at this end. He hasn't really lost that much of his kind of turn of speed. He can be tricky on ball and he can burst. And that's, that's useful. It's particularly useful for the books. Um, but I've said it from the start. I don't think he'll be as useful as most people think. But there is a Jeff Teague playoff game. This is something that he has always done. And he is a playoff player. Playoff Teague was a thing. I don't know if like books fans have any way. Can we, can we clarify real quick whether this is positive or negative? No, positive. Positive. Okay. It's like Rondo. It's good. Yeah. There's probably like a 24 point Jeff Teague game where you're they're like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, it's just, it's purely found money. But that might be like one of three games he plays in the playoffs, sort of thing. And he could have that game and log a DMP the next one. And I'm not going to be like, what is Bud doing? He's not going to Jeff Teague. But there will be a Jeff Teague moment. I just, I wonder kind of. He, like the bench, there wasn't just there really wasn't enough scoring. There wasn't enough production. Buddy Portis was good. Um, Pat Pat was fine. Like just didn't hurt them really, but he wasn't offering much of a plus. Brin was similar, but I think as you might have mentioned earlier, it's like just a couple of kind of trees going in for being a really good performance. Yeah. I I just wonder if they need a bit more offense, if they need a bit more kind of speed, just something that mixes things up. Because it is a pretty weird, like, if you're to look at, oh, so what have the books got coming off the bench? And you're like, PJ Tucker, Bobby Porter, Pat Connett. Like, it just gets really weird really quickly where you're like, this is so lopsided. And we know that the books roster has been a little lopsided in terms of guard depth and quality guard help. Um, certainly, I mean, since you make the move to bring in Drew Holiday, which is the right call, but you lose George Hill who was one of the few players who actually plugged that gap for a long time. He, there is a, they're they're going to need some guard play off the bench at some point. And so, Brent Forbes? So when I did the, the mock rotation a couple days ago, I didn't include Pat, which of course everyone, you know, Bud, Pat's going to play 30 minutes. He plays 10. He was the closest, he was the last guy, basically, who played in this game. And I didn't include Pat because I just think with every move they've made this season, They've just taken, like, I, there's not anything he does that's better than any other bench player anymore. And I think the closest was, like, being able to play up a little bit. Like, my conspiracy theory is Pat is always more of a 3-4 than 2-3. I just think mm-hmm. he's not quick enough. Like, he's got the athleticism. He's got the strength. Like, a player like Igadala is perfect for Pat to just go stand there and he can go get rebounds and everything else. 
But then you get P.J. Tucker, who does all those things, but much better. And, you know, if you want a shooter, you can go to Bryn Forbes or even Portis, who's a much better shooter, too. So I just I don't see what he's carved out that he can do that's helpful. And I just think you have a better option no matter what. And Pat still gets it makes sense to play him in the regular season. You're just going to play more guys, of course. But now when I just think there's more value in. You know, you can get a much better switchy defender in Tucker. You can get a much better scorer in Portis or Forbes. And I think you can just get a better ball handler in Teague. And my thing with Teague has always been there's a very simple formula for his minutes. 48 minus Drew Holiday's minutes should be Jeff Teague's minutes. Like, just get him out there to run a little bit of offense, keep the ball moving. Maybe you carve out a couple minutes for him at the two so he's not literally playing like six minutes. But I just think that makes more sense and would be more beneficial than Pat and Dante just out there, you know, getting in some cardio. I don't. I just don't think they accomplish enough. They're just so tertiary, and I just don't think there's anything that Pat does well enough where it makes sense to play him over anybody else, it, not on the roster, but in the rotation. I mean, obviously, there's some guys who should never play, but I, I just I don't see the upside of Pat anymore. I just don't think he brings it in any one area enough to where it makes sense to give him run. Can I counter with what I think is the reason? That he's like just solid, I guess. That's exactly the reason. Yeah, I, I think it, I think his floor is not very low, and compared to some of the other guys out there, and this would include Dante, whose floor is like underground. Yeah, you've got me. You've got me there. I'll give you some of the other guys. Dante's floor. Dante's floor to ceiling is like. Is Pat, Pat not, is a really limited player, right? And we all know that. And. The the spotlight always shines brightest on him in the playoffs because of those limitations. In spite of that, the playoffs haven't necessarily been where we've seen the worst of Pat. Like, even last year, Pat had some pretty solid games. At times, even early in the heat where no one was really giving them anything, Pat was able to go out and do something. I think he's earned a lot of credit for that. Bud is definitely leaning on that and buying into that. I I'd be with you, except you just look at the other options, and it's like... There's no... Yeah. I, I don't know what the alternative is. Next year, for sure... Thanasis, if he wasn't injured. Well, Thanasis could... You know, Honestly, could really that when... The Heat could desperately use a Thanasis. That's what I was thinking of earlier. We were talking about, like, guys they can throw at Giannis, and their problems with, like, Bam has to be the Giannis guy, and then you're just kind of letting the rest of the book size beat you. They just don't have a pest like Thanasis. But even next year, like, Jordan Wara, I think you can easily see, yeah. right, okay, there's a very clear and obvious path. That isn't there this year. They could have played him more in the regular season. They could have got at that point. Wara. It's, it's too late for that conversation, but I also think that's a... <laughs> God. <laughs> Jordan just derailed. I'm, I'm so glad you did that, because I just, like... We've just had this conversation with so many players over the last, like, five years, and I just had so many, like, DJ Wilson, Sterling Brown flashbacks that my head started to hurt. Baz so Muhammad, I, when he was in the playoff rotation. Oh, Frontier. my goodness. <laughs> Frontier. Shabazz gave some minutes. Honestly, that is kind of where Remember we Remember the Shabazz game? Remember that? Yes, yep. that's the T game is going to be like that. That's what I'm. That's what <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm picturing. Just walking into the locker, it's going to be pure adrenaline. It's just going to be like <laughs> force fitting, hitting us in the face. It's going to be just that's what the T game. Would yeah, be like. I'm just I'm just imagining just Jeff Teague walking into the locker room in the morning, looking dead in the eyes to Mike Budenholzer, saying, "It's time, it's today." <laughs> <laughs> 
that's the thing is that's so great is it's so entirely the opposite of that. Uh, Teague, like he's a really unusual character. Like he's he's just so kind of mellow. He's at a, a completely different kind of level. He's a classic guys. Jeff. He's a classic Jeff. That's true. It's a, a, but that's, that's also just what makes it happen for him in the playoffs. Because it's times you're like, does he even know this is the playoffs? Like, does he think he's in practice? It doesn't matter. Jeff's a cool name. Um, Thanasis wearing jeans kept throwing me off. At first, I felt disrespected that he was in street clothes, and I remembered he has the injury and he's not playing. But I was like, really? He's not even dressing? I'd like to at least – like uh, he's like the perfect break, break glass in case of emergency guy. Then I remembered – I don't, I don't know what it was about jeans. Something about jeans and a bunch of bad. I don't know what it was, but I just kept noticing. I was like, he's just rocking those jeans, man. Where Where are we at on the Tenasis injury timeline? How far are we? I thought it was weeks. Weeks. Is it, was, it, is, it was right? a few weeks. Yeah, two I think it was weeks. Three to four weeks. Like, it's one of those. Re- it's one of those like, like we're going to reevaluate yeah. okay. kind of thing. He'll be back for. I think it's the same injury as. Right? Of course. Okay. I think it's the same injury as that Bledsoe had last year. It is. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. The right avulsion fracture. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Get well soon, Thanasis. Keep rocking those jeans in the meantime. Rohan, you seem so confused about my jeans analysis. Well, I was just... It's, <laughs> just felt like it stands out to wear jeans at a basketball game. It does. No, you're right. That's I just, my thing. I was so thrown away. Thrown. What's the word I'm looking for? Thrown off. Thrown off. Yeah. By just how much that take resounded with me. Today. I don't know what it was. Uh, but what, was, what else do players day. wear when they're I don't like, know. I don't know. Players wear jeans. Sweats. I don't know. Yeah, that's if they're not injured, but he is injured, Ty. Wait, I mean, they usually dress, like, but, they, but I they usually at, wear like a suit or something. I look well, yeah. I look at the Atenecumbos as like Nike sweatsuits 24-7. That's just how I picture them existing. So that's what I expected to see him in. That's all. I, that's more Giannis than Tanasis. That might be true. If we ever see Giannis in jeans, occurred. Do we know or, where? Yeah. I thought Patella. P- Patella, yeah. Oh, okay. What does that mean? <laughs> like is no. there doctor? I mean, an avulsion fracture is a type of fracture. It could yeah. happen anywhere. Mm-hmm. What is it? So Do you want to explain what, it while we're here? I mean, sure. It's it's like you know, uh, ligaments and tendons connect bones to muscle, muscle bone, bone to bones, stuff like that. If there's a fracture and it occurs like by a ligament or tendon, and part of the bone is still with the ligament or tendon, oh. that's an avulsion fracture. Okay, that's good to know. Mildly creepy, um, but good to know. Do we have anything else from this game? I feel like we went and well, we're debating jeans talking. No, no, we're done with the jeans. We're done with the so jeans. I think oh, yeah, <laughs> that, that yeah. We didn't get to golf umbrellas yet, but I'm, uh, I was just about <laughs> to say it. Yeah. Okay. So if we were, if we are going to wrap this up soon, give me your predictions for how this how game two goes. Uh, I think the books win game two. Okay. I think, I think, they win it. I I think, think they're going to be a better version. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I think we're going to see. The good things that were there tonight, I hope, in terms of, I guess, attitude, approach, just kind of, I, I did think it was a little flat. There was maybe if the yeah. first few minutes, yeah, so soft on screens, um, yeah. was was something in particular that I felt, and it's just kind of like, yeah, this is the playoffs. Get into it, but they made that adjustment. You could feel as it went on. I think they'll come out like that in game two. I'm not saying it'll be a blowout. I don't like. <sighs> The Bucks could sweep this series and we could be in for nail biters like this in every single game. 
Yeah. Like there's just there's no path. The Heat won't quit ever. They'll never quit. Exactly. That's, that's a team you will never get to. You'll never beat them by fifty or whatever. Exactly. So no matter what the final series score ends up being, if the books advance, they will have worked unbelievably hard for it. But I I think we see a better version. They're not going to shoot as poorly as they did. At least not from behind the arc. Maybe <laughs> at the free throw line. Jimmy Butler will probably be better. Bam will probably be better. Will they? Probably. I mean, like, the Bucks played them as well as you can in terms of they allowed the shots that they're the weakest at, right? Like, Jimmy was out here pulling up and taking a bunch of threes. That's not in his game. He took nine threes tonight. That's not what he does. But the Bucks are forcing him to do that. Bam, again, we talked about what Brooke Lopez was doing. Like, sure, maybe they'll get a couple more shots to fall because they're well, yeah, good players. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to be exponentially different. I wonder at what point, I know it's become so embedded in what they do, and he's like now kind of turned into, I mean, he was way back when, and then he became a starter, and now he's like perennial six-man of the year contender again. I wonder at what point in this series that they may have to start Dragic, just because the backcourt is weird. And when your two best players don't necessarily fit into how the series is shaping up, that's true one game, there's plenty of time for that to evolve. But there is something there that it feels like they need just a little more, a lot more creation. Like, I, I wonder how that works. I mean, the other thing, too, is Jimmy and Bam can play better if Duncan Robinson can, just goes, like, a tiny bit off the boil compared to tonight. Like, does it matter how well they're playing? For example, if Bam's making great passes and they're going to Trevor Ariza, it's like... <laughs> You, that, that, you did slander someone. It just wasn't. Yeah, no. Wasn't, yeah, I'll was raise my hand. It's Trevor yeah. Ariza. If yeah. Trevor Ariza stands out there at Adam McGee 11 on Twitter, you could be sure <laughs> I'll reply. Do you guys remember that one tweet from when LeBron signed with the Lakers? And it was just like, LeBron kicks it out to Lonzo for three. And then it's just a picture of Michael Kidd Gilt. Gilchrist shooting, and I'm just <laughs> that's what I'm imagining right now when you're talking about Bam passing out to Trevor Ariza. <laughs> Well, that is, the one thing with Dragic that I do, and I don't want to doubt him because he's been so good in the playoffs, especially against the Bucks. I just wonder, I don't know if they wanted him to play 35 minutes in this game, right? Like he didn't start, none started, none only ends up playing 23 minutes. I do think there is, they're trying to conserve a little bit there. He's, he's battled through a lot of injuries. We saw it come up again in the playoffs last year after the Milwaukee series. I, I wonder how hesitant, if at all, they're going to be to bump him up with the starters and play him closer to 40 than 35. It does feel like just asking so much, but that guy does seem to come through almost every time that they need him. I don't I think, have a choice. I'm, yeah. I'm looking here at the box score tonight and at the, the DMP CDs for the Heat. It's, I don't yeah, know who some of these guys are. Who is Max Struess? Should I know him? No. no. Right, that's okay. I was just checking. Um, like, you were making the case earlier that they don't be too precious with precious minutes. Hey, uh, wow, learning from Jordan. <laughs> oh, well, that's that. I've crossed that bridge. It's super hard to go back. I've done years <laughs> of that. That's just part of who I am. Miles Plumley Bridge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no one else gets that reference. <laughs> May the bridges you burn light the way. And yep. a famous hoodie that Miles Plumley used to wear. <laughs> famous only to Jordan. I'm sure Miles Plumley doesn't even remember. I hate that I know that. The light of that you fire that was good. The only thing that was keeping us going during the – that was like mid-kid years. Anyway, you're saying that. Um, I'm saying I don't know who Max Struess is. So, <laughs> Corey Jarvis is going to have to play 35 minutes whether they like it or not. And yeah. Th- that's, that's – look. That's the it, thing. Like, him – like, 
hero, like, I kind of thought he had a better game than he, I mean, 10 points, yeah. whatever. Shooting. Two for 10, though. But, yeah. like, that's the thing, like, I suppose a very aggressive coach, obviously, he's very, he makes adjustments on the fly, very decisive when, when and how to make change, or when, and, yeah, whatever, like, how do you phrase that? Um, but, like, I, I definitely see him, at least, if there is a starting lineup change going into game two, I think it's Dragic over none by a long shot. Just because none really, uh, he was easily just kind of game planned out of the, out of the game. And he, like we talked about before, he is so going to be fodder for the Bucks if they keep doing mismatch hunting, especially if it's Chris, Drew, Kaisley, Brooke, obviously, hopefully Giannis. Like that, I think that's the next move, but anything else outside of that, like that's where, you're really thin when it's a reason Iguodala in terms of just like three and D wing guys where it's, they just don't have that Crowder type. Sometimes some of those players aren't either three or D yeah. looking at you Ariza. This is like the the conclusion I came to at the end of the, the preview pod was like, you know, I think Spo is better than Bud at chess, but Bud just has way, way better pieces. And at a certain point, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you have like six pawns and a knight, you're only going to do so much against, like, a bunch of queens and rooks and stuff. And that's kind of what it's coming down to. I mean, he has some very good players, but they don't have a lot of good two-way players, and it doesn't go deep at all. I mean, the, the options are, like, Dragic, keep it how it is, or, like, hope Tyler Harrow is going to not just be a bubble guy forever, which the returns aren't super promising on that lately. I, I think it's a big win for the books to keep it as it is, because, like, can any of you come up with a reason not to make that change? Like, is it that, oh, well, if we put him in the starting lineup, the bench has got nothing. That's, that's because, probably it, yeah. yeah. Well, the Bucks bench has nothing. So it's like... Uh, I mean, they okay, have a lot got, more than, than this Twar- group does. I mean, yeah. and Portis are way better than anybody that the Heat have. If you if it's none and Harrow, are their two best bench players? We have we have differing opinions on Forbes and Portis. They, look, they're better, but I don't think the difference matters that much. With mm-hmm. both teams, it's going to come down to staggering your rotations. So you're already getting a game where it's like it, it matters more who's on the court together and when yes. than any kind of arbitrary sense of, oh, well, you know, Garner Dragic is a sixth man. It's like, no, this is nonsense. You need to have him on the floor to open games. Because if the books do get a game where they click, if they come out and they're locked in and they defend like they did, um, end of the second quarter, was that the the period where, like, it was... It was swarming. Oh, it was yeah. as suffocating as it's ever been. So the books come out like that, and they're also hitting shots. That's where you could have a blowout, because the heat would just look lost. And Dragic is one of the few guys who could break through that. Yeah. And also in a way that Duncan Robinson, you know, can't, because of how he can create on ball, because he's just much more experienced. I think you could get at Duncan Robinson. That's... Maybe the book is a little bit more physical in defending Duncan Robinson and see how he likes it. And send him him to the free throw line. If he's got to shoot three free throws a couple times, that's okay. But, like, I I can't remember. It might have been Utah or it might have been Rowan. Someone made the point earlier that when Brooke gets out on him, like, it's not something you're doing, but he just looks unnerved. Yeah, rightfully so. If Brooke was closing out on me, I would look unnerved (laughs) too. But, you know, play with that idea. You know, actually go with that and make it uncomfortable so he doesn't get in a rhythm and so that he's kind of second-guessing and being like, okay, who's coming at me now? Or how much space am I going to get? How far can they close out on me? 
I think if I go as far as like a bold prediction, I think this is probably the best Duncan Robinson game that we see in the series. Ooh, I could. I mean, yeah, it's pretty pretty. I think I think the the most like the most firm evidence for that is like what was his first half versus second half splits. Like the Bucks clearly and adjusted, and he didn't have a terrible second half, but I think his first half was clearly much better. Yeah, first half have four three, of seven from three. Yeah, so he had three. He was what three of six for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. So still pretty good. Uh, but also, to have a better game, like I'm just thinking in a books context. You might know this off top, Jordan. I think the most trees ever made in a game by the books is ten by Ray Allen. I think either that or red, one of the two. Like he's got seven now. Close, How much yeah. room is there? Like yeah. you're talking about an all-time shooting performance. So to do it in the playoffs and to do it against. This book team, some of the defenders there, like I don't think there is anything bold because one, he's got to be as confident, as kind of um, as an open stroke, as, as open, as open too. too. Which he got, he got like three or four games and he had early on. Some crazy deep ones too. That's yeah. like, oh yeah, great defense, but even greater shot because know? he was so in rhythm. Yeah, I think yeah. what he, I think he had three in the first few minutes of the game. I mean, that's a pretty good start. He scored Miami's first nine points. Yeah, yeah, so, that's right. Uh-huh. He had four for the rest of the game. So if you can, you know, make, hold him to one in the first few minutes instead of three, then yeah, all of a sudden you're at worse games than this, which is a high bar. I mean, he's really good in this game, but I think I think that's a good call, Jordan. I'll just to close. I already agreed with Adam. I think the Bucks win a somewhat easier game in game two, which I I still don't feel great about saying it, but I think that's just like the last couple of years seeping in. I, I'm really trying to put that aside as I make predictions, but I still feel I feel a little better even about Bucks in five. I felt really bad about it for a minute there, but I think you win a game this ugly, that just goes a long way in, in a playoff series. I think, you know, Adam and I were chatting like right before the pod started. You know, there's some great takeaways that we covered already, but they don't feel great if you lose the game. Like moral victories only go so far. Being down 0-1 in a seven-game series, it's not worth it. But if you get some good takeaways – and you found a way to win the ugly game where you can't make a single shot, that just feels very promising for the, the rest of the series. So I think in that sense, I feel good about Bucks in five. You get game two, you one of the next two, and all you got to do is win one more in five serve. They've already won as many games as they did last year. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I forgot to, oh, I was going to say that earlier. They won as many as, it took them four tries to win this many last year. Yeah, so I, I'm feeling pretty good about this. I guess I didn't get my prediction. I, yeah. I'll say I'll say they I'll say they win. I don't think it'll be super easy, but I think they pull it out. Wait, wait, Jordan, do you think win or lose? I think we got the we got the the specific prediction, but I need an overall one. Um, I probably go Rowan. What he said, it's gonna be tough as nails, of course. I think it's when the series flips over to Miami, where. Are they able to pull it out? Is this is this series just going to go chalk? Just because I think that much of a factor is going to be a difference, even with the added day in terms of travel between switching the series over, um, stuff that we used to have to think about instead of last year. Yeah, like I think that's where my head lies, but I'm also not super confident. But also to round it out too, this is a game that they would not have won. The last two years. Heavens game three, no. game three against no. Toronto, that's going to be... I assume they were losing the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where, like, yeah, like, game three in Toronto where you go to double overtime, you had so many chances. They certainly had plenty of chances to close it out today or even lose it if you want to take it that way, too. But, 
they still prevail. Can I go even one step further on that? These are the games that they've generally been losing this yeah. season. Yeah. In the regular yeah, season. Yeah. The they haven't been game. winning these games. And I know, like, something that we've talked about, Jordan, is like, oh, we've maybe we were just trying to make ourselves feel better, but now it seems smart, which was like, well, at least they're getting these games because it was something they didn't get a year ago. Maybe they'll be better off kind of more battle-tested down the road because it felt like good teams, they were in good games. They just have to be losing. Here we go. First one up, they win. That's all that matters. I have one more question I want to throw out. I forgot. I meant to ask earlier. We're way over, but oh well. It's a super pod. It's game one. Jordan and I are here. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We're with Adam and Jordan. The effect is already in place. Way under. Do we think that Bud is playing possum with PJ Giannis 4-5, or is that just not something he's going to look to do this? I'm talking this series. Now, I know we're going to see it against Brooklyn if we get there, but do we think that is something that we will see? I think zero minutes. Game one, PJ and Giannis basically just subbed out for each other. We just didn't see that much, PJ. Do you think there's a time when that's going to get thrown out there, or is Brooke just too good? Is it just going to wait for the later rounds and, and not put too many miles on PJ? What's the thought? I say right. yes. You think I he's think playing he's possum? Awesome. I do. For this, series, for this series specifically? Yes, for this series. Okay. So, uh, like, sorry, Ron, go on. My reason for saying that is we saw that in this game. Like we saw that with the initial Brook Lopez defense. They're like, oh, let's see how this works. And they immediately got torched. And they're like, okay, I guess we can't do that anymore. So we're going to switch that up. They did not get torched with playing PJ at the four, Brook at the five. If they do start to get torched, they know they have that in their back pocket. Maybe I'm giving Bud too much credit here, but we've, we, we literally saw that like a similar adjustment happen in this game. So I think he's playing like he knows he has that in his back pocket. I think ideally you don't try to use it in this series. Like it, it is there. The point is there to you have the option. You know you have the option. That's where the trade was made. But it's not like I did see some tweets. Um, not even like from you know books people who are just way too invested. I saw from kind of national writers being like, "Where is PJ Tucker at the five or some combination of him and Giannis? This is what you make the trade for." It is absolutely not what you make the trade for. You don't make the trade for game one of round one. You make the trade hoping that down the line it's going to become key. And as we touched on, there was some good stuff there for Brooke. Like there, there were looks there where you're like, okay, maybe we could get more out of it defensively if PJ Tucker was there. But what's the what's the kind of the the largest net gain? And it is without question in this series, Brooke is going to do more offensively than he's going to hurt you defensively. And unless the Heat come and prove otherwise, it's it's got to be kind of a dare for them, which is like. We're just going to keep going with this unless you really expose it. Of course, in that case, then the hope is that Bud does make the change. <laughs> and we do see uh, Giannis and PJ kind of combine as a front court. But I, I think there's no reason to go to it unless the Heat push you there. And if you were the books or if you were the Heat sitting down, one of the things you've got to be is like, okay, let's get Brooke out of there. Because, I mean, just generally, I mean, get to it, but the books bludgeoned them inside. Yeah, um, the like, points on the paint difference was crazy. Points on the paint, yeah. obviously rebounds. Like the Heat have to do something about that, and the best thing they could do is target Brook, get him off the floor, and say, "Okay, let's try and make this just a little bit closer in terms of size." Yeah, I I probably go agree with you and Rowan, Adam. Like, just don't you don't need to turn to it so soon, especially when. If Tucker's out there, he's going to be up against Butler. It's not going to be Bam. We talked about like the difference when you're going with a more 
you know, smaller stout guy that gets banned, but you give him still some strength that will obviously bother him. But Tucker's just going to eat so many innings and minutes against Butler specifically just to lighten the load on, on Drew and Giannis and all that stuff. Like, I just don't – I don't think this is a series where it, it's it's all based on context. Yeah, like, ideally you'd want to see a super small lineup where you're super versatile and all these things are working towards your favor. But I think in the with the way that – uh, the Heat will really test the Bucks. I just don't. I don't see it for until like maybe if if it's like Game Five and everything rides on winning Game Five or something like that. Well, it depends on just that kind of. Thing. It, it's kind of playing in Miami's hands, isn't it? I mean, we just yeah. talked about they don't have enough big guys. So I agree that there's no reason to go out of your way to play Brook less and PJ more. The one thing I will say. You think Giannis plays nine more minutes than Lopez in this game? I wouldn't mind seeing five of those minutes be one of those lineups just to get get some reps, see how it goes against this Miami team so you don't have to go to it blindly and just kind of hope. Wouldn't mind, and I know there's a whole, do you want the do you want Spo to have the tape? And the, I, I don't care about that at all. I think the Bucks are the more talented team. I don't think they should be worried about that kind of a thing. I, I just I would like to see run it out there when Brooke is going to be sitting anyway and just see how it goes because I do think at the end of the day those are probably their most potential packed lineups just the way the game is trending. Wouldn't hate seeing them get some more reps, but this series I don't have an issue with Brooke Lopez playing a real starter minutes the way he's played so far. You just got to make sure you're not dropping on Duncan Robinson. Basically him alone. I mean Dragic a little bit as well, but really him – Anything but drop there, but against a lot of these other players, I think this is a good Brook Lopez series. I think if you know the Bucks some somehow win this and beat Brooklyn as well, there's going to be another good Brook series where he's going to play a lot of minutes too. And I think it's both of those series are going to be very comfy for him. Well, I think they actually they solved the drop problem because they still dropped against Duncan Robinson. They just had they rotated helpers yeah. come in. Yeah. And if they did it against an empty corner, they would just trap it. I should say, don't straight up drop against that. Yeah. Like don't don't do it without helping. But yes, you're. I yeah, I agree with you. You're right. Can I make one last point? And I, it probably won't be our last point at this point. <laughs> um, just because we haven't talked to it, but when you mentioned just Giannis's minutes there. I think he wore the 45 minutes really well tonight. This is the yeah. best condition Giannis has ever looked in the playoffs. Yeah. Because yeah. this has been the thing every year when there's the outcry over, what, Giannis is only playing 38 minutes. And I was like, yeah, look at him. He can't even do it. Like, he can't do it. There's always been this thing about him that just those kind of long stretches wouldn't work for him. He would be gassed, gassed in a way you wouldn't see any other player gassed. There were moments he was tired tonight, but it was not like it's been before. It was not like um, like yeah, so many series, so many series, big games. Just name any series. Yeah, yeah I was, especially I was if trying they to lost. Think. I was, I was got to be like, it's not like game against the Raptors. I was like, no, it's just, it's just once he'd get close to 40 minutes, it was a problem. He played 45 minutes in overtime, and he picked up some kind of injury. Um, now, maybe that helped him to rest for a few minutes because he did sail through those few minutes. but it didn't feel like, and it didn't look like by the end of the game, oh, Giannis has just spent it all there. And that is another massive win because that's been a part of his free throw issues in the past. Even games where he started shooting well from the line, late in the game they fell him, and he's just there. He can't get the shot to the rim. Yeah. We didn't see any of that, so that's encouraging. 
yeah, I think this is something I've I've talked about like playoff Giannis before, like just getting better, like some of these taking some of these lumps to get better. And I think, you know, from the ten thousand foot like national media view, that means one thing, right? Like three point shooting and to a much lesser extent free throw shooting. But it's all the little things. Like I would have liked to see him be a more willing passer in this game. Like I think when he slows down in that mid area and the defense starts to contract, he's gotten this season a lot better at throwing that kind of underarm almost not underarm but like back arm pass like he loves throwing that out to shooters stuff like that and I also think learning how to play more minutes loads he might be the exact same conditioning he was in last year I assume there's an upper limit he's probably reached but like knowing how to like LeBron does this super well right like pick your spots so you can just stay on the floor and make as much of a positive impact as possible like you have to coast sometimes without looking like you're coasting that much because it's much better for your team if you're at 80% for eight minutes, then just not out there at all. So I think that is something, too, where we'll have to watch going forward. We'll see games where hopefully he doesn't pick up a weird stinger or whatever it was. But that that would be, I agree, massive for Giannis and the Bucks. Do we have anything else we need to cover here? I'm I'm good. I, I I was the I'll I'll take the credit. I was, I'll take the blame. I was stepping out there. Just I was being like I'm gonna step out. And let Ty finish. He stepped out for too long. I, I'll I'll take so the blame. Now that I you ask, Ron, things, I've got but... I've got five more things that I want to. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, I'm I'm good. I did it all. I, the PJ Tucker thing was my last real one, but I'm glad we hit on that. Okay, I guess we can wrap this uh, win in six Eurostep crossover episode here. If you are still confused about what is going on here, uh, <laughs> check out the latest episodes on both feet. Is this going up on the win in six feet as well? Yeah, it probably it probably should. Okay. So if you're listening on the Win in Six feed, hi, you're not going to be able to listen there much longer anymore. Uh, make sure you are subscribed to the new Eurostep Podcast Network feed because, again, if you missed it, you're really confused. Win in Six is now part of the Eurostep Podcast Network. Check out the latest episode where there's sort of an explainer episode. Check out any of us on socials. We've explained it. Just, you know, keep, keep up with it. If you need a personal explanation... Just at Rowan. Rowan will do it for you. Uh, no, I, I literally will. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Listen, at, at any of us, but just particularly Rowan. <laughs> I, I'm happy. I'm happy to help at all times. Uh, thank you for listening on whichever feed you're listening to. Make sure you're migrated to the new Eurostep Podcast Network feed. Uh, check out all of the great content across the entire Blue Wire Podcast Network. Stay safe, everyone. Enjoy this victory, and we will talk to you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.